1: Welcome to Absolute Software's Fiscal 2021 Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question-and-answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Before beginning its formal remarks, Absolute Software would like to remind listeners that certain portions of today's discussion may contain forward-looking statements that reflect current views with respect to future events and conditions. Any such statements are subject to assumptions, risks, and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in these forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements contained in today's conference call are made as of today's date, and Absolute Software undertakes no obligation to update or revise publicly any of the included forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, except as may be required by applicable securities laws. For more information on the assumptions, risks, and uncertainties relating to these forward-looking statements, please refer to the appropriate section of the company's Q2 fiscal 2021 and DNA, which is now available on Absolute Software's website and will also be available on Cedar and Edgar. I'd also like to remind everyone that this conference is being recorded today, Tuesday, February 9th at five p.m. Eastern Time. I would now like to turn the call over to Christy Wyatt, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead.
0: Thank you. Good afternoon, and thank you all for joining us for Absolute Software's Q2 fiscal 2021 conference call. Before we get started, I would like to welcome Stephen Gadoff, our Chief Financial Officer, who joined us in November and who is joining me on this call. On today's call, I'll highlight the continued positive trends in our quarterly results, and we'll review the past quarter's developments. We will touch on some of the market drivers that are contributing to our ongoing success, and finally, we'll wrap up with some commentary on our direction and the unique opportunity we see ahead of us. Q2 was a strong quarter for absolute, highlighted by further acceleration in revenue growth, coupled with solid EBITDA margins. Revenue grew 16% year over year, and we delivered adjusted EBITDA of 27%. We added 5.7 million of ARR in Q2, and exited the quarter with ARR of 117.5 million, up a record 17% year over year, driven by an 18% increase in active devices. Our education sector grew 30%, while our enterprise and government sector grew 12% year-over-year. Was driven by a mix of new, um, Q2 growth was driven by a mix of new customer wins and expansion within our existing customer base. Notable customer wins included Western Alliance Bank, Cypress Fairbanks School District, Westgate Resorts, and the Royal College of Arts in the UK. This was another strong expansion quarter for us with a continued strength across products. In Q2, we delivered a number of significant product enhancements focused on enabling deeper management capabilities and enhanced ease of use. A few notable deliverables included flexible modern reporting as well as a new mobile application designed to help IT and security teams manage endpoint devices and protect sensitive data easily and efficiently no matter where they are. Our web usage application, which we successfully launched in our education segment in Q1, was integrated more broadly across our enterprise offering, enabling advanced insights into software usage and employee productivity, as well as a n- number of other key features. As a result, we've seen 158% increase in the number of accounts that have enabled this feature. Enhanced software asset inventory and analytics were introduced, which will automatically scan Windows and Mac devices to help customers assess software applications, detect unauthorized installed applications that may pose security risks, and confirm the successful rollouts of new applications or updates. Application persistence added two new titles to its growing library. Customers can now monitor and apply automated self-healing to Palo Alto Global Protect VPN and NetScope CASB, so they remain installed, healthy, and undeletable. And our reach library of automated workflows was enhanced to include return codes, giving administrators the ability to efficiently fine tune and confirmed success of at-scale remedial actions. Our ongoing investment in innovation resulted in Absolute being named as one of the top endpoint management solution providers by G2's customer review platform. Based on high levels of customer satisfaction, this marks the sixth quarter in a row for Absolute. We've continued to see strong traction with our OEM and channel engagements across various vertical markets and territories. Absolute was added to the health trust group purchasing organization offering that Lenovo and CDW sales teams are leveraging in the healthcare sector. Dell's blueprint for success program originally launched in Q1 with a focus on education and has now been expanded to cover state and local governments and healthcare. Additional software bundles were launched with HP in North America and EMEA supporting consumers as well as working from home and BYOD users. And after announcing our new channel partner program last quarter, we doubled partner engagement in Q2, which led to significant increase in channel pipeline from a year ago. As we all approach the one-year milestone in our remote work and distance learning journeys, the massive market opportunity for Absolute remains clear and in focus. We have worked with many organizations to mature their processes around managing and securing distributed or hybrid environments, while maintaining control and visibility of their devices and their data and ensuring the resilience of their security controls. We are well positioned and remain focused on delivering more resilient security controls and deeper bias level management capabilities for our customers. In Q2, we were notified by the FedRAMP Joint Authorization Board that we've been prioritized to, to pursue a provisional authority to operate for the absolute resilience platform. FedRAMP is a U.S. government-wide program that provides a standardized approach to security assessment, authorization, and continuous monitoring for products and cloud services. Achieving this certification would further enhance our opportunity in the U.S. federal market over the coming years and demonstrates our commitment to ensuring the highest levels of cloud security across all government agencies. Also in Q2, we were awarded the Cyber Catalyst designation by Marsha McLennan. Who facilitate an independent evaluation of over 90 solutions by leading cyber insurers? This designation is significant as it emphasizes Absolute's critical capabilities and our ability to provide the highest level of protection against today's top cybersecurity risks, and offers customers significant discounts on cyber insurance when Absolute is deployed within their environments. Turning to education, we see three trends that are driving a structural shift in the market that has re energized this segment of our business. Historically, education IT has not seen the scale and complexity of other enterprise verticals, as many schools still largely operated under a campus model with simplified connectivity, a smaller number of applications, and were primarily focused on learning use cases. Since the emergence of COVID, we have have witnessed the complexity of the education environment increase dramatically. The number of applications and versions our education customers are using has increased by 282 percent from one year ago. At the same time, the velocity and mix of platforms and devices that are being supported has also accelerated. And finally, the mobility of the devices these schools are managing has changed dramatically. Whereas whereas previously many schools were managing devices on carts that moved from class to class, schools are now looking at technology deployments with enterprise scale and security challenges. The combination of complexity, velocity, and mobility has fundamentally shifted and accelerated the educational approach to IT and security and as a result has strengthened Absolute's value proposition and our ability to help our customers manage all elements of this critical learning infrastructure. Given our long-standing position in the education market and our unique ability to provide an unbreakable digital connection to all devices, bias-enabled management, and resiliency to their other core applications, we continue to see strong activity in this segment. These growth drivers are further supported by an increased flow of funds that help schools procure and deploy critical capabilities required to meet the new demands of digital learning. While the CARES Act provided an initial boost of investment, there are other layers of funding flowing into the sector that support our continued growth. At the start of this fiscal year, we discussed our plans for further investment internationally, starting in the UK and broader EMEA region as one of the focused growth investment strategies. In line with our plan for Q2, we have hired new leadership for this region, and this team is already in motion, expanding the team and working with our partners to broaden our reach into the market. Over the past two years, we have worked hard to put in place the right team and infrastructure to take advantage of a large and growing market opportunity. We are becoming increasingly effective at capitalizing on our technology advantage, the permanent digital connection and self-healing security controls which we believe is increasingly relevant across all market sectors that we serve globally. Looking ahead, we continue to focus on further accelerating revenue growth while maintaining our balanced profitability, and have prioritized the investments required to achieve these results, which include an ongoing focus on operational efficiency and scalability, an expanded focus on international markets and global strategic accounts, broadening our channel and partner program, and delivering new product offerings that leverage our rich data platform and secure channel embedded in over a half a billion devices. With that, I will now turn the call over to Stephen to take us through the financial highlights.
2: Thanks, Christy. Good afternoon, everyone. We appreciate you joining us. We're glad to provide some details and color around the business that drove our Q2 financial results and walk you through our guidance for the full fiscal year 2021. We'll, of course, wrap up by opening the call to your questions. With this being my inaugural earnings call here at Absolute, I wanted to frame this out into three areas. One, my personal bullishness on the large and growing endpoint resilience opportunity that Absolute Software is uniquely positioned to monetize. Two, our SaaS model that's driving solid increases in year-over-year ARR and revenue growth and strong continued profitability. And three, the compelling path in front of us to drive continued revenue growth and increasing stockholder value. First off, I'm thrilled to have joined Christy and the team here. After 90 days or so on the job, I can say that I'm more bullish on the opportunity that's sitting in front of us at Absolute than when I first started. Absolute's persistence technology, which is embedded in more than 500 million devices globally by the OEMs, along with our leading technology platform, puts the company in a unique position to disrupt the $68 billion TAM. And the early signs are that we're doing just that, as we continue to make progress and drive growth. Having joined the company just after our listing on NASDAQ, I've taken the opportunity to talk with many of our new and longstanding investors. There was a recurring message that I kept hearing. Given the very large market opportunity and your unique technology advantage, what is the timeline that will see the company fully realize this? What may not be obvious from the outside is the significant transformation that the company has undergone in the past two years. I would offer that this is evident on two important fronts. One, the significant evolution of the team that Christy has driven from go-to-market to product to ENG. And two, the technology overhaul of the platform infrastructure and SaaS architecture the past two years to support our evolving security analytics platform and product path ahead. As a result, the capabilities of the product in terms of scalability and functionality are very much new and expanding, particularly in the direction of intelligence, which is all the more relevant and important now for where the market is. Our go-to-market capabilities and approach have been transformed from direct to partner-driven and have been evolved meaningfully since Christie's arrival, and the team's new focus on garnering greater economics from our land and expand SaaS model. This is what I am particularly excited about insofar as driving growth and removing friction, helping us continue to monetize our platform model and drive ARR and revenue growth while we maintain a strong profitability profile. While Absolute is obviously not a startup, I believe we are just now in a new position to engage with a stronger technology stack and value prop and looking to realize the potential to disrupt this massive security market opportunity that sits at the front door for our core persistence capabilities. With that perspective, let's look at the results of our SAS model inherent in the second fiscal quarter ended December 2020 financial results. Q2 was another strong quarter for Absolute. We saw total ARR growth in excess of 17%, record revenue growth of 16%, and continued strength in both adjusted EBITDA and cash flow margins. Starting off with ARR, performance in our education sector came in strong, delivering 30% growth year-over-year year in Q2. We're seeing continued growth as K-12 moves forward with their digital transformation from just deploying devices in the pandemic to now needing to manage these fleets at scale and to ensure that all their investments and in security tools are deployed, active, and working as intended. The bulk of our portfolio in enterprise and government remains solid, growing ARR a consistent 12% year-over-year in Q2, despite some COVID-related headwinds in some of our enterprise verticals. As we've noted, while the pandemic has resulted in increased demand as IT and security professionals migrated to having to manage and secure devices off corporate networks, we've also seen some headwinds at times in particular sectors such as healthcare, professional services, and some retail. We continue to have a diversified customer base across the portfolio, which we believe will help mitigate the impact of any particular sector weakness. And so far as our expanding global reach, we were pleased to see improvements in our newly enhanced EMEA efforts and another strong quarter from our Latin America portfolio. We continue to see significant opportunities internationally and are being strongly encouraged by our OEM Partners to expand our presence there specifically we're investing in our sales capabilities and go to market in EMEA over the second half of fiscal 2021 as I'll discuss in a few minutes when we talk about guidance for the full year overall international comprised 16% of total ARR and grew approximately 43% year-over-year versus 23% growth in the prior year another contributor to our strong performance in Q2 was that our sales team executed well in closing a large number of deals early in the quarter. This benefited Q2 results in the form of both higher revenue and favorable cash collections. Looking at some additional business metrics that are also contributing to growing revenue and favorable economics, net dollar retention continued to grow and came in at 109% in Q2, versus 100% in the second fiscal quarter of 2020. This very strong number is part of what we believe is a trend that reflects our continued success of expanding within our existing customer base that's driven off our initial land. In this regard, we wanted to note that we've updated the methodology of how we calculate net dollar retention to be on an annualized year-over-year basis, so that it's consistent with our year-over-year growth assessment and other performance metrics, versus the in-quarter calculation that it had been. On that historical basis, NDR would have been approximately 104%, which was also an increase in growth over the apples to apples a year ago comparable. Going forward, we will only be reporting the annualized NDR number. In the spirit of driving transparency and providing investors with helpful information in a low-friction way, we have initiated two disclosures that are available on our IR website. First, we've published a standalone earnings deck in addition to the company presentation that contains the financial and business highlights for the quarter and the relevant trend and performance info for previous quarters. Second, we've begun publishing a metric sheet that is intended to provide easy access to the various operating and financial metrics that we discuss. One of the metrics that you'll notice that we added is non-IFRS EPS, alongside the IFRS earnings per share. While it's not a key metric, as we have defined those in the MD&A, we thought it would be helpful to provide the non-IFRS EPS number that adjusts for the same adjusted EBITDA items so you have that calc available as well. With that, let's look at the Q2 P&L. Our ability to deliver strong revenue growth for Q2 demonstrated the strength of our SAS model, where we have built a solid base of recurring subscription revenue and continue to grow it. Total revenue came in at $29.9 million in Q2 for a year-over-year growth rate of 16%. We continue to have solid visibility into the SaaS revenue profile going forward and are bullish on the several vectors of growth across international customer expansions, continued monetization of the platform, and new analytics cross device and predictive-oriented endpoint and security products. Gross margins came in at a consistent and solid level of approximately 89% in Q2, and while we saw some efficiencies in our go-to-market OPEX, we also saw higher operating costs in G&A as a result of becoming a U.S.-listed company, as we've messaged in the past would be the case. It's notable that sales and marketing grew a modest 7% in Q2, resulting in some efficiencies for the quarter. This all manifested itself in an adjusted EBITDA margin of 27% in Q2. This came in above expectations as a result of two factors. First, as I mentioned, we closed more bookings earlier in the quarter that drove higher in-quarter revenue. Second, on the cost structure side, the pandemic continued to challenge the pace of hiring and dampened T&E spend for another quarter, thereby temporarily lifting margins. You can see that as well in our total employee count at quarter end, which was up marginally to 526 people globally from 517 at the end of the previous quarter. As we'll talk about in a moment, we're beginning to address this in the current Q3 quarter in terms of expanding our go-to-market hiring and some increased program spend to drive growth. And so let's now turn to our third point on a compelling path in front of us that we expect to drive continued revenue growth, and increasing stockholder value. We're committed to continuing to drive profitable growth. As we've discussed, we benefited from recent cost savings from pandemic-impacted headcount and T&E savings that drove higher adjusted EBITDA margins. For the current Q3, we anticipate a marginally higher year-over-year increase in sales and marketing expenses as we increase our investments in driving growth. We're making incremental sales headcount and channel investments as we expand our presence and growth initiatives in EMEA. We're also making decided investments to drive future increases in new logos, higher sales rep productivity, and continued customer expansion. And so considering all this, our financial outlook for the full year fiscal 2021, ending June 30th, 2021 is as follows. We are raising our revenue guidance and expect full year total revenue, be in the range of $117 million to $119 million. This equates to a full year fiscal 2021 revenue growth of 12% to 14%. We're raising the lower end of expectations for adjusted EBITDA margin for fiscal 2021 and anticipate that to be in the range of 22% to 24%. We're also raising the lower end of expectations for cash from operating activities margin where we expect that to be in the range of 26% to 34%. And finally, we're maintaining our expectations for capital expenditures for the full year of fiscal 2021 to be in the range of $3 million to $4 million. In closing, we're confident that we are addressing the strategic opportunity in front of us in a thoughtful and methodical way to drive stockholder value from a combination of ARR growth and maintaining profitability. As we move forward and capitalize on this, I'm excited about contributing to our ongoing focus around driving a SaaS orientation and execution in terms of both our revenue scale and how we run the business to achieve increasing leverage and returns. From evolutions engaging with customers and customer onboarding to managing our leading indicators and investment profiles, we're driving greater operating and organizational efficiencies with our unique technology platform to make sure we're well-positioned to capture the large market opportunity. We continue to have confidence in monetizing the opportunity in front of us and our path of continued revenue growth going forward. With that, we appreciate your time and support, and we're glad to open the call for any questions. Operator?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, in order to ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. Again, that is star one. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from a line of Mike Walkley with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open.
3: Oh, great! Thanks for taking my question. I hope everybody's uh, healthy on the call, um, and congrats on the uh, record ARR and execution. My, my question is on, you know, post the SolarWinds hack, it's really helping demonstrate, I guess, increased security spending cannot help stop some of the breaches that that happen out there. I was curious if this is just helping generate increased awareness. Um, for your persistence technology, you know both from your enterprise customers and then from companies maybe come into your ecosystem Such as some well-known companies you added such as Netscope and Palo Alto during the quarter
0: That's a great question. Thanks, Mike um, so I would say that uh, we definitely had a lot of inbound inquiries around the, uh, the recent <clears throat> the recent breaches I do think that it did highlight on a pretty global scale, the value of, of retaining those security controls on the endpoint and making sure that they're the right version. The number of uh, companies that I spoke to that said that the reason they were saved um, from being targeted was because they were too many versions behind. So therefore, that's how they, I'm not sure, well, it may have worked in their favor this time. There's, there's probably more times than not it w- would work against them. So. I think it definitely has increased the focus on endpoint hygiene and making sure that, that the resilience of those controls is is there and in place. On the ISV side, I, I think we continue down that journey both from the application persistence as well as the persistence of the service journey. I think we continue to grow that catalog and I think that the the awareness is definitely growing on the customer side and from the ISV partners, what we're hearing is is a lot of enthusiasm around the data we can share about how and where their controls may be going offline. Um so so it's, it's an it, unfortunate but interesting focusing moment.
3: Great, thanks. And just to follow- up on that, Christy, just in terms of adding companies like Netscope and Palo Alto Networks to the ecosystem, are those companies coming to you, or are there your current customers asking you to add them to your to your ecosystem? and And how does this add to your sales cycle as you add more and more well-known companies to that ecosystem?
0: Yeah, so generally the, the 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 list of applications that we're adding to the application and persistence library is customer driven. So these are the solutions that our customers are using where they've messaged to us that these are critical controls that they want to make sure are there and are always working. Um, we you know the list is the, the list is uh, long in terms of the the you know the targets and, and the potential opportunities and I would say that uh, the collaboration has only increased in the past year. Mostly as a result, we've gotten a lot better at showing data to, with our partners about about what we're seeing about the performance of their applications, and that's really uh, sparking the interest.
3: Great. And last question for me, I'll, probably for either Christy or Stephen. Um, you, know, you guys have a very large team to pursue and you know, appreciate the updated uh, fiscal 21 guidance, but is, as we think longer term to investors, is there... A, a certain balance that you're trying to, to reach between growth and profitability. I mean, are you trying to stay near that rule of 40, like a 20%, 20% growth? Or what do you need to add maybe in sales and marketing to, to take the growth up even higher um, than it's currently running? Thank you.
2: Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks. It's a great question. And as we um, talked about, it, I think fairly consistently in the past, um, yes, we believe that the rule of 40 is a relevant, and helpful measure in parsing out how we think about growth and profitability. And, and the, the bogey, if you will, that we've said we uh, are aiming to get to is a blend, right? And, and there's a blend literally down the middle of 2020, uh, eventually looking at 20% um, growth, revenue growth and a 20% profitability. And so when you look at the trajectory we're on from a revenue standpoint, we continue to uh, chip away and, and, and slowly accelerate growth to that level. And on the profitability side, you, you've seen in the first half of the year um, EBITDA margins that are on the higher end of that. Uh, and so we've been um, fairly explicit in, in managing expectations that we um, have a, profitability is a very important metric to us, uh, but that we're also looking to invest some marginal amount of profitability back into growth, into both product and go-to-market, so that we would expect to see the profitability not hanging out in the upper twenties over time, but it work its way uh towards the twenty as growth comes up with it. You know, it won't be a perfectly linear, beautiful quarter by quarter sequential um trade-off, but uh you know that's that's the goal that we have over time. Right.
3: Well congrats again on the results and thanks take taking my questions. Thanks Mike.
1: Our next question is from Methanos Moshpolos with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
3: Hi, good afternoon. Um Looking at the enterprise segment, um, the growth there has been kind of comparable to what you were doing pre-COVID. And I think you called out the dynamic where you're seeing softness in, in certain verticals and, and presumably that's being offset by uh, an acceleration in other areas. Um, maybe as you look at pipeline, as you think about the coming months, um, how do you think that dynamic plays out? Do you think the softness sort of remains sustained in the weaker verticals or are there signs of, of, of that getting mitigated? Um, what's your outlook there?
0: Thanos, um, I, I'm happy to take a shot and then of course Stephen can jump in with uh, with anything he sees. Um, you know, we have continued to see, as, as we said, both the, the, the strengths and the weaknesses of the enterprise space. Well, we, we overall see the the the, uh, the positive strengths and I think that the, the continued stability of that space. We do think that the growth has been somewhat tampered by the softness in some of those other verticals, um, which is why we see the difference between edu- uh, enterprise, enterprise and uh, education. I think so long as we're in this pandemic, we're going to see some some continued puts and takes on that. The one thing I would point out is that quarter to quarter, it's not it's not always consistently the same ones. It it has some amount of seasonality to it. I don't think that there's uh, we have any growing concern about what's coming in front of us. If anything, I think we're moving towards what looks to be you know a. a Stabilization as we're making progress with with, uh, uh, with the global, with the broader pandemic set of conversations. So there's nothing unusual in this quarter that we hadn't been seeing in previous quarters, and and I would say we continue to see healthy demand uh, for the categories, just offset by some of these other areas where they have sort of their own things going on.
2: Yeah, Thanos, your your premise was um, uh, about on there, you know, when we look back at enterprise in the, call it, year before the pandemic, um, the growth rate was, was actually inching up sequentially quarter by quarter. So it was going kind of from, you know, the 9-10 to 11, 11-12 to 13, and working its way up um, from a bunch of progress in a few sectors. And then the pandemic hit, and it was interesting that some of those sectors were the ones like healthcare that had some challenges in it. Um, and as Christy uh, made a really good point, there's still some sectors and enterprise that are, we're seeing really nice growth from, but one or two that, that are uh, under pressure. And so we're bullish on on the overall space. And, and when those uh, pressures lift, we we would expect to, uh, to see the gro- overall growth benefit from that.
3: Okay, that's, that's helpful. And then in terms of the EFEDRAM certification, um, you know, I'm almost surprised you didn't have that, um, given that I know you have a, a significant public sector business. So maybe help us understand uh, better what that really means and um, what kind of opportunity might stem on the back of that. Um,
0: so FedRAMP is, uh, we're actually very excited about this. I think that uh, FedRAMP uh, authorization, I think that's the one you're referring to. Yeah. Um, you know there's a couple of different ways you can you can approach that certification it is a very long process to get through it um one way is you can go in with a an initial sponsor specifically against their requirements and the other is you can work with this joint authority board to work more broadly on the program and i think we were very excited we were one of a very small number many apply we were one of a very small number that that was uh, uh, prioritized in that queue so so we've always had a very healthy federal business um, I think that uh, we've seen a lot of opportunity there and it's been one of our better growing segments we do think that there's a lot of additional opportunity if we can go deeper into that segment it's one of the growth strategies we've talked about in, in, in previous conversations and and this is honestly an opportunity that's somewhat opened up to us because of the move we've been making towards the public cloud so it makes it somewhat more accessible uh, when we're sitting on a public cloud infrastructure that's already got through that certification. We get a lot of additional benefit as a result of that. And so, so I think we're very excited about this. It is, I wanna sort of set expectations. It, it is a long standing process. It, it takes a period of time, but it is a very transparent one and we'll be able to give updates as we go through.
3: But ultimately, this this helps reduce the procurement hurdles that um, a new government agency might face as they look to bring you on board, right? Is, is that the fundamental principle?
0: Yeah, essentially, they're 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 sort of assessing uh, against a, a risk framework and set of security capabilities, so that other agencies won't have to sort of certify on an independent basis, or wouldn't be required. They can leverage that certification more broadly.
3: Right. Okay, um, and then the last one for me in terms of the EMEA investment, um, any, any specific uh, countries of uh, focus as you think about where you're um, spending your, your incremental dollars uh, for hiring?
0: We've, we've done very well out of the UK, and so we're going to continue our investment uh, out of there. We are starting to, and, and, and just to be clear, we, we have been, we do have many customers across EMEA, across the business. Um, but we are starting to, to to sort of stand up additional selling capacity. As I've touched on before, you know the the place that we start is really with our partners. Uh, we, you know, there is a there's an easy way and a hard way to kind of open go into new markets, and and so our strategy is not to land a bunch of headcount into a new territory, a new territory, and start with sort of the you know, the demand generation on our own. We really are going into the call centers with our partners and, and, and leveraging a lot of the same selling motion that has made us successful in in North America and in the parts of, of Europe where we are so far. So we haven't laid out sort of a country-by-country country plan, but but it is a highly leveraged plan, and, and I think we are well on our way.
3: Great. Thanks, guys. Nice quarter. and I'll pass the line. Right.
0: Thank you.
1: Our next question is from Scott Berg with Needham. Your line is open.
4: Hi, Christy and Stephen. Congrats on a great quarter. I guess two, yeah, two for me. Let's start off with the education segment. Obviously, uh, really strong growth there. Big boost in ARR. Seeing some positive trends there. But how should we think about the longevity of what you're seeing there? Is this a, you know, that, that's a much bigger quarter or, or bigger spike than what we saw in the uh, in the June quarter? Is this something that's kind of a one quarter trend, or is there an opportunity to have uh, something more sustainable as the pandemic hopefully subsides?
0: Hi scott um thank you it's a It's a great question you know i I spent a little bit longer than than normal talking about sort of the color around education um on this quarter's call because we do see it fundamentally shifting. I think that uh, what we're what we're seeing is really this this increase in complexity. And so I think that sets us up for longer term success with education. And, it, and again, it's not it's not simply a result of uh distance learning and it's not simply a result of of additional funding. It's a result of, of kind of the these educational environments are very large, they're very complex. In many ways, they're more complex than enterprise because of the mobility and because they're using with you know they have younger users. They have a lot of challenges that many enterprises don't also have. Um, and so this is this is really kind of a turning point when when we talked. I gave the data point on the call about the number of unique applications, just to give you some perspective. And, and this is information that's actually up on our website in our COVID Insights dashboard. Before COVID, we saw, you know, just over 1.5 million unique applications and versions across our enterprise estate, and and in the education side, it was on the on the education side of the business, it was just a fraction of that. You know, I, I think it's. You know several hundred thousand at this point so it's much much smaller than that's the kinds of applications they were using the amount of security controls it was a very simplified environment if we look at the new applications that are coming into that environment there are certainly some um, you know there are some student support and distance learning tools for sure but you're also seeing a lot more mainstream enterprise security controls and so that that increase in complexity that increase in the number of devices and the, the complexity around managing those devices and the diversity the kinds of applications and security that they're, they're having to put on those devices really means that that you know that is starting to to kind of get closer to an enterprise and, and the use cases start to converge It's a little bit why we've seen such great response to things like the web analytics and the web usage which we initially put out in education but are equally relevant in enterprise, right? The use cases between the two start to get very, very similar. Um, so our belief is, now, I don't wanna you know, set the expectations that, that you should take a look at this quarter and assume that it's run rate, um, but I do think what we're seeing is not kind of a, a blip and a flurry of activity. What we're seeing is a vertical market going through a pretty significant transformation.
4: Excellent, quite helpful. And then from a, a follow-up, question Stephen if I look at your guidance here uh, for the effectively the second half of the year it's implying a 12 percent revenue growth rate at the midpoint and given the company has come off of a 17 percent uh, AR growth quarter in the December quarter and that was after a 13 percent number in the uh, in the in the September quarter sales obviously seem quite strong but your guidance seems a little bit on the conservative side relative to that sales strength how should we view the guidance in the second half? Is there some dynamic or component around REVREC that's delaying some of the revenue on these contracts? Maybe some assumption on, on churn or, you know, is there anything else that we should kind of read into that number? Thank you. Sure.
2: Yeah, that's a very fair question. And I think on the surface, we we would offer to not read uh, too much into it insofar as changes in REVREC or contracting or, or any type of uh, fundamental business uh, shift. There is the overall dynamic that, while we are very bullish on the business and the market, uh, and, and we, like everyone else, are getting used to living in this pandemic environment and are adjusting um, ourselves to it. For example, we understand a little better how hiring works. We understand a little bit better how engagement with customers works, and so we're now looking to expand and invest some more in that. But on the revenue side, we really just wanted to be thoughtful uh, and and. Consider it in laying out something that we were comfortable with. Uh, probably nothing more uh, uh, involved in that.
4: Great. That's all I have. Thanks again and congrats on the great quarter.
5: Thanks.
1: Our next question is from Adam Tindall with Raymond James. Your line is open.
6: Hi. Thanks for taking my question. This is Alex on for Adam. I was just wondering if you could provide some color, maybe quantify some of the numbers around the uh, COVID-related free trial you had that expired in October, kind of just, you know, what, what was the uptake on that and, you know, what was the conversion rate uh, related to that?
0: Hi, Alex. Um, it's a great question. So, we we haven't published out the conversion rate on a specific campaign. We don't, uh, I don't, we, we don't publish uh, sort of campaign by campaign results, but what what we have seen is increased acceleration on resilience with, with uh, you know, we've talked about 60% of our ARR is sitting in resilience, and I think that's, that's continued to grow. Um, so, so the motivation behind the campaign was really, first and foremost, really to help our customers where they were struggling, especially around areas like VPN or, or web usage or reach. Um, and then in doing so we introduced them to a lot of the capabilities of resilience and so we, we did see a healthy conversion up to um, Up to the higher tier package um, Whether they took it out on a sort of modular license or whether they just sort of went to resilience as a whole it did also help shape our thinking about kind of the next uh, class of application persistence applications which ones were most critically needed and I think you you see that reflected in, in some of the new AP modules we've been adding. You know, We just added uh, the Palo Alto uh, solution and, of course, the CASB solution as well. So I, I think that it, we consider it to have been a successful campaign because it really raised the awareness of how we could be more helpful to our customers.
6: Okay, that's helpful. And then sort of on that topic as well, I think you mentioned in the past about, you know, thinking about reconfiguring your product offerings based on modules for vertical specific applications. Have you have you done any more work on that? Or what are your thoughts on kind of moving forward with that?
0: Uh, we have continued to do more work on that. We have been continuing to, to take a deeper look on sort of performance by product line. Um, Taking a look at the modularity of our product, as I've I've commented on before, you know, behind the scenes, the product itself, the configuration of the product and the capabilities is pretty flexible, so it makes it relatively simple for us to be responsive to customers who want to look at different stacks and combinations. We haven't announced any new bundles or pricing um, or any changes. I think that we, you know, it's one of the, the areas that we're continuing to dig in and do work as we go through this quarter.
6: Okay, thanks, and then one final one, just housekeeping question. Um, Taking a dive into the Fresno uh, School District deal, I think that was a 100,000 devices uh, expansion deal from 20,000 devices uh, with resilience, if if you've seen kind of an ASP of $40 with around 20 bucks of net revenue per year. Am I correct in thinking that's around 1.6 million of incremental annualized revenue uh, for you?
2: Yeah. Um, I apologize. Your map is not orders of magnitude off, but we just haven't commented on the revenue okay. profile of a specific customer, but
6: okay, and just, your numbers just, sound okay.
2: like reasonable Perfect. stakes.
6: Perfect. And are there any other ways you can monetize the relationship or have they already taken kind of the, just through expanding the number of devices or are there any other products you can kind of upsell or cross sell?
0: Well, I you know I, I don't want to uh, we published I think them as a representative case study we've been doing a series of of case studies on, on sort of customer success and so uh, you know we're very excited about the collaboration we've had with them um, when we think about uh, when we think about upsell and expansion with customers you know, we have talked a little bit about the opportunity to do some new product introductions as we go uh, later into this year and, and sort of early into next year. We've talked quite a bit about the work we're doing with with data and um, we, analytics. We've talked quite a bit about some of the work that we think is interesting around what I'd call proactive health monitoring. So, how do we how do we actually prevent devices or, or applications from falling out of compliance, as opposed to just fixing them when they when they break or sort of go offline? So. So, not without commenting on any specific or in, uh, individual customer, I would say that you know we're always looking at the customer journey, and we absolutely think even for a customer who's sitting on resilience, there is much more we can do to be helpful.
6: Okay, thanks. Uh, that, that's all for me.
1: Our next question is from David Guant with TD Securities. Your line is open.
5: Hi. Congratulations on the quarter. Um, just so want to jump into the FedRAMP or back into the FedRAMP. The question is related to this, the timing of when you expect to get the the certification there, and then also, um, you know, any type of hiring you might need to do to pursue that opportunity, and when we could actually start to see material revenues being generated from uh, from this uh, from the FedRAMP. Fantastic. Um, so, so thank you for
0: the question. Um, the federal process itself is actually pretty long. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hazard to guess um, when the finish line is, but I don't think it's unrealistic to think, you know, it's it's longer than six months. Um, and some have taken sort of much longer. It is, it has a lot to do with. It's a little bit like SOC 2. It has a lot to do with sort of documenting controls and processes and and, and sort of go, kind of navigating your way through that process. The process is very. And the requirements are very public and, um, and documented. We're happy to sort of share them more broadly. In terms of the resourcing required, this is something we've been working up to, up to this point. So across our, our CIO, um, Diane and Will with the, with the R&D organization and with our cloud operations team. So, so this is something we've been working towards um, with our customers. We have a number of customers who, who uh, are also uh, huge supporters of us kind of going through this process. I don't, I'm not envisioning a whole host of new headcount required. There are some um, contractors and consultants that we hired who have been through the process before who are sort of coaching us and, and supporting us as we, as we go through it. But I don't think you should view it as a, um, a significant investment from an R&D perspective. From this point forward, it's, it's sort of within what we're already doing. We have been um, building out our, our federal team over the past couple of quarters. so. We have been um, sort of beefing up the support to our federal customers, and you should continue to see us do that. But it's already in line with our hiring plan. There's nothing nothing additional as a result of this announcement.
5: That's helpful, Christy. Um, and I guess the Canadian dollar has been, been moving here over the last couple of months. Um, can you comment on how much of an impact it might have had on your, your QT results um, if you changed? Uh, the FX assumption for your guidance, um, and kind of roughly what the, the breakdown in expenses are, Canadian dollars versus U.S. dollars, or, or I guess obviously the two um, two key uh, uh, countries that you're in. Sure.
2: So um, we, as we disclosed, we do hedge our Canadian exposure. We're a U.S. dollar functional company globally, um, and what we hedge against is um, our payroll-based um, expenses in Canada that, you know, headcount is roughly 70-plus percent of our overall expense worldwide, uh, and in, in Canada it's probably even more. It's probably, you know, upwards of 80% of our expense base.
0: And
5: so we're hedging
2: uh, the majority of that, and we have it hedged out uh, two quarters as of now. And so um, that is not a factor uh, for the current quarter that we reported or for Q3 so far as the P&L,
5: uh, impact per se. Uh, good question. That's awful. I guess uh, last last one, question for you, maybe. On the gross margin okay. side, it's been uh, at the high end I think of where it's been over, over the last few years, um, around 89% range. Um, I think initially it was kind of viewed as it, it maybe temporary here, but maybe can you talk about how you see the gross margins playing out over the next six to 12 months? Sure.
2: I think, I think you're spot on, and, and uh, not to be um, acute, we, we have not yet laid out a target model. We, uh, we will be doing that at some point. We look forward to that. Um, what we have talked a little bit about is as we move more to the cloud and less away from an infrastructure-based model, um, we would expect some movement of costs on our geography from gross margin to HopX. Uh, and so you may see some of that as we invest more in cloud operations uh, away from uh, capex and depreciation, so so uh, probably a little bit, not a whole lot uh, of pressure yeah. in the in the outer quarters. Uh, nothing material in the near term.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you.
2: Yeah, sure. Good question.
1: Our next question is from Richard C. with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, one question for me. If you sort of look, uh, I don't know, on a year-over-year basis or maybe a trend over the last three years, can you maybe talk about
4: uh, sort of the average deal size uh, trends uh, with your existing business? Sure. Why
2: don't we tag team on that, uh, Richard, uh, Christy, and I both. You know, in a a nutshell, we've seen um, some favorable dynamics from customers in aggregate, right? There's always the topic of lower marginal pricing off higher uh, volume-based deals, Uh, but we've seen an expansion, uh, success and expansion of our customers. And so we've we've been uh, glad to see uh, deal sizes. You know, if you look on two ways to look at that, TCV basis and an ARR basis. If you look at TCV basis, that's really influenced by the how many years the last of the contract so that's not a fantastically helpful view in, in our opinion way to look at it but we have been able to garner greater economics from customers over time and one of the metrics that's probably the acid test on that um, is the net dollar retention which has expanded uh, nicely on a sequential basis over the past
4: several quarters oh, okay i, I guess i will i have you um could you also maybe give us a sense of uh, the split here between the uh, new wins and expansions uh, in the quarter? Um, sure.
2: We uh, – I, I, you know, I can I'll, – I'll take the new guy um, hit. I'm not sure what we've discussed in general in the past, so I'll, I'll be talking. <laughs> I'll see you, Stephen. I'll
0: I, jump in yeah, and then you, can, yeah. you can build yeah, on that. So. Yeah. So I, I think the metric that we've we've always, um, first of all, hi Richard. The hi. metric we've always talked about is the net new logo um, number, which we've, and I'll just sort of go back to our land and expand model. So, so you know, it's I think about 1.5 million this quarter, and it was about 1.3 million last quarter, and that's true net new logo. So that's that's the true, you know, new ARR from from a brand new customer. Um, Much of what we do everything after that is is an expansion But it has a lot to do with the way we meet new customers if you remember, you know, we often attach uh, With our OEM partners and then our direct sellers are really focused on that upsell and expansion and so So when we look at that net new logo number it you know quarter by quarter it, 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 It remains very small. What we're very focused on internally is sort of the analysis of how it grows over time and I don't think we've published of those cohorts. We gave a little bit of of context around it at the analyst day, but it's something that we are um, spending a lot of time looking at and hopefully we'll be able to provide some more color on in in
4: coming quarters. Okay, that's great. Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the Q&A session. I'll now turn the call back over to Ms. Wyatt for any closing remarks.
0: I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us this quarter, and we're looking forward to catching up with all of you uh, in another couple of months.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.